Aloha and welcome to episode 3 in a three-part series on pedagogy in the Hawaiian Islands. My name is Noah Ransland and I am a student from the University of Massachusetts Amherst working as a content strategist here at the Human Restoration Project. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this is brought to you by our supporters, three of whom are Brian Oram, Julia Rosemary Valenti, and Matthew Thomas Fahey. Mahalo nui for your ongoing support. You can learn more about the Human Restoration Project on our website, or find us on x slash Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. Over this summer, Chris had put me in contact with Dr. Amber Strong Makayao, a specialist at the University of Hawaii at Manoa College of Education Institute for Teacher Education Secondary Program, and the head of professional development at the Hanahaoli School in Honolulu. She invited me to come visit the school, and that experience guided my research and focus during the summer project. I visited the school multiple times over the course of the summer, spending time digging through their archives and exploring various different aspects of life at Hanahaoli. After having been given the opportunity to see what progressive education in Hawaii really looks like, I wanted to share with you all my experience and the plethora of other experiences of the students and faculty at the school. The series has been building up to this episode, where we will look into the work being done at Hanahaoli and what progressive pedagogy in Hawaii looks like in practice. First, here's Amber to tell you a little bit about the history of the school. So there was a couple living in Hawaii, Sophie Judd Cook and George Cook. And um, this is around uh, the turn of the century, around the early 1900s. And they were living on the island of Molokai and uh, they had a number of children. And Sophie was not a formal educator, but had learned a lot about Regio Emilia, approaches to teaching and learning, and was homeschooling her own children um, using those approaches. And her husband, George, became very interested in government, and he got elected to the Hawaii State Legislature um, to be a representative from Maui County, and the family had to move to the island of Oahu. And when they got to Oahu, they decided, well, we should send our kids to a formal school. And um, we're looking around, and a lot of the schooling options at the time were very traditional. Um, they were reflective of the industrialization that was happening at that area, era. And um, serendipitously, there was a woman who was traveling across the country. She was a fourth grade teacher at the Francis Parker School in Chicago. And she was giving public lectures about how children could learn how to read from being in storytelling rich environments, rather than memorizing um, words and letters from basal readers. Um, and Sophie went and attended her public lecture in Honolulu at Washington Place. And she was enthralled with it. There was probably lots of parallels between what she was listening to this woman. Her name was Gudrun Thorne Thompson, what she was talking about and what, um, Sophie believed him in terms of the Reggio Emilia approach and um, went up to the woman after the lecture and said, I just adore this. I'd love for my children to learn in this way. And she said, well, why don't you start a school of your own? And that launched the beginning of Hanahaoli School. Hanahaoli in Hawaiian means joyous work. It was named by Sophie's brother. And um, from the very beginning, the creation of Hanahaoli in Honolulu in 1918 was a collaboration between uh, the Cooks as well as many folks from the Francis Parker School and John Dewey and George Mead 
and uh, the superintendent of the state of Hawaii of public schools, um, the, uh, the fledgling University of Hawaii. And so from the very start, Hanaho'oli was really modeled after um, John Dewey's experimental school at the University of Chicago, but most primarily after the Francis Parker School in Chicago. And so it has lots of elements of the early East Coast progressive schools overlapping and integrating with Hawaii's unique cultural con uh, context. And so that includes just the, um, the physical layout of the school, of having lots of outdoor learning spaces and open courtyards, um, the integration of multicultural education and multiple language learning, Hawaiian language, uh, Japanese language, uh, French from the very beginning. And so its birth was a really unique venture and in the progressive education movement because it stayed true to all of those, uh, the progressive philosophies of Dewey and um, Hillpatrick and Lucy Sprague Mitchell and all those folks, yet it was adapted to be more reflective of Hawaii's multicultural society. Over the course of this episode, I will include a variety of voices from various students and faculty. To provide some context for what's to come, I'd like to introduce you to the people you're about to hear speak. First is Jennifer Steerly, one of the directors of faculty and curriculum and a current educator. For a parent's perspective, you'll hear from Veronica Kimmy, who's also a faculty member. Finally, for the adults, you'll hear from Allison Backlig, director of admissions at Hannah Haoli. And last but not least, you'll hear from Raleigh, Hannah, Kaoli, Taylor, and Etta students across different age groups. In the conception of this project, Amber and I identified a few core values of Hanahaoli. While spending time talking, covered by the canopy, and taking in the warm island air, Amber pointed out to me that not every progressive school is as lush and green as Hanahaoli. In most of the schools she had seen, where they were situated was not a key component of how they operated. Hanahaoli, on the other hand, situated itself squarely within the Hawaiian cultural and physical context. This speaks to one of the values we discussed, that of place-based pedagogy, something I discussed at length with Stacy in episode two. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is place-based learning, which of course is kind of a buzzword lately, but what an amazing place <laughs> to have place-based learning. There's such rich cultural, historical background. And unfortunately, because of the history of colonization, a lot of Hawaiian culture has to be rediscovered and reinvigorated. And, you know, as a person who is not Native Hawaiian, there's so much that I need to learn and am learning. And it's an exciting opportunity for, as a teacher, to say along with the kids, hey, I don't know this, but I want to know it and I know who I can ask. And modeling that for them, that curiosity and valuing where we we come from in, in a certain way. Like I was born here, but I'm not Hawaiian, but I feel like I come from this place to a certain level. So I need to honor that and respect that. And then also, yeah, I, I guess really with the wonderings, like what else can we learn about where we are? How else can we connect? How else can we honor this place where we are? The students are acutely aware of this as well highlighting Hawaiian traditions as some of their favorite experiences at Hanahaoli. I really love Makahiki, which is basically Christmas, but Hawaiian, we give authorings, we do dances, Hawaiian dances, chants. It's really fun. 
I think it's really cool that we get to um, do Hawaiian things and it makes me feel connected to Hawaiians. And um, this year, they said in um, quote, fifth grade and fourth grade is going to be like the spotlight of Makahiki. So I'm excited to do that. In line with this understanding of place, Hanahaoli takes a different approach to how it forms its curriculum. One of the key elements of Hawaiian pedagogy that showed up time and time again in my research was learning by doing. Just as Dr. Sai addressed in episode one, project-based learning has been essential to the success of the Hawaiian education system, and Hanahaoli has carried this model into the era of worksheets and standardized testing. Rather than conforming to this new epoch, Hanahaoli has continued to pioneer a project-based model with lots of room for reflection and creativity. When I joined Hanahaoli and was teaching in second and third grade, they had the curriculums built so that there were already a lot of projects that were incorporated into the learning, into the curriculum, in order to really give kids experiences and to understand, you get at their understanding. So one of them that I think is pretty unique and fun and valuable is a kid's city project where as part of their unit learning on families, schools, and communities, the children design and create a, a city in the classroom. So since they have the unique setup of three different classrooms or home groups in one large space, the kids take over that entire space for maybe the course of a week. But before that even happens, the kids are planning what does a community need? What is a community? How can we show that? How can we make a functional community? What do we want in this community to make it the best it possibly can be? So after they've done the research by going on learning trips, having guest speakers, doing interviews, reading, watching videos, they decide upon the elements of their city and gather materials that they need, map out where different parts are gonna be. Oh, we need a bank here because it's a safe place to have a bank. Or we definitely need a grocery store because our community members need to eat. So that's one of the amazing projects that has been done in second and third. Um, in fourth and fifth, it looks a little different. I'm coming more recently from the fourth and fifth grade classroom. A project that we've done a few times now is a nonviolent direct action project. And with that, the children are learning, I mean, with all the projects that we do at Hanaholi, they're really learning about a larger concept. So in this one, they're learning about social justice. They're learning about um, being an, a change maker in their communities. So kids have some freedom to decide what the focus of their nonviolent direct action is going to be. And they've also, before this, learned some basics about the civil rights movement. They're fourth and fifth graders, so they don't understand or get into all the complexities and the history of it. But they have a, a grounding in that and where the, this idea comes from. And they learn about Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail and they decide what action they would like to take. They 
collaborate with each other on how they might take this action, whom it will affect and how their intended outcomes, what they might do if their action is not successful. So through, through the different age levels and um, developmental stages, kids are doing different types of projects to really show what they understand and de develop their understanding. And I also like all the work and like how it feels so accomplished and good when you get everything done. So, yeah. Um, I'm same with Hannah. I like um, all the traditions and how we do them. And then I also like how we do um, like learning by doing. So that just seems nice to me. Same. Can you guys explain that? what that what that means and um so like for me it's more of like um like i do this and then sometimes we'll do like a reflection about it so it's like we reflect i guess yeah yeah i like the reflecting except sometimes i think it's hard for me to remember like sometimes so i like to take notes sometimes of like what's happened and stuff like yeah just so I know and I have something to reflect on. Uh, my favorite unit is the food unit because we, we would get to like go to Matson or like a food, food product uh, place, like center or like factory. And they would give us like a pack. And my favorite like project is when we had our ocean creatures and we got to research our creatures and then write about them and draw pictures. Um, my favorite unit was personally Mandarin because um, I'm half Chinese and I get to explore more of who I am. And um, my favorite project in it was uh, we kind of had this idea of this artist named Ai Weiwei, and we made a project project based off of um, something like him. I created like a zodiac animal in his style, or yeah, and um, I did it with my classmates. Um, I don't remember any of like the big projects, but there is this one like. I wouldn't call it a project, but I would call it an activity. So one day we had this thing called black and white school, which was school from like when you were in school, like the rose kind. And that was in actually the pavilion where we have our assemblies and stuff. And then um, we did orange and white school in the back of our classroom where um, we did like a lot of stuff and we made stuff of the bell, and it was really cool. Um, one of the big, big projects that we did in the ocean unit that I really enjoyed um, was like we would put all of our um, like all of our facts and stuff that we learned into like a book um, that we would write. And for me, that was really fun because I like to author and write. Um, so yeah, that was I'm gonna fun. add on to that. Um, I really like to author and write too. But then that we got to choose like our top animals 
that we liked, like our top five animals that we liked. And then the teachers gave us one of our those options. And then we had to study that animal and like Raleigh said, make it into a book. Can I can I interject because I've had can you do you mind telling him about what it means to be an author and the authoring process? Sure. I think it's a good example of Well, what we do here, which is similar out in like like what authors would do. Well, we would like write our draft and then um we would self edit with a friend or a partner and then we would like after that we would take it to our teacher and she would be like our editor and then she would edit for us and then after we got ed everything edited we would put it into a big not a big book but we would bind it and stuff after we did it well we have to then we have to write it on pages after we edit we have to write on these certain pages. You can choose if you want a big book or a small book, but you can't keep switching back and forth. And so we had to like write our story again with all the edits onto the paper. So we basically wrote our story like two times. And then the teacher would laminate our covers, bind it. We would do the about the author and dedication. We would choose the order and stuff. It was really fun and cool. Yeah. Hanaholi, at more than a century old, is a school steeped in tradition. Another value we identified, the traditions provide a sense of continuity, progress, and vision to the students as they spend each year building on the last. To start, one of the most well-known traditions is the stepping stone, where each student carves a stone with their passions, memories, or anything in between to be immortalized on a stone path in the courtyard of the school. There's a ceremony where each student steps over the stones, signifying the end of their journeys at Hanaholi. I'm, I want to put some like waves on my stepping stone because one of my main passions is swimming. So I want to like do some ocean themed stuff. So yeah. I thought maybe since I like volleyball, maybe I could do like a big volleyball and then um, like in the lines, I could do like other things that I like. Uh, something I want to put on my stepping stone is my like my passions and what I love to do and what I love like to eat or something. Yeah. Well what would you want to put on it if you were gonna show your passions? Like a musubi skateboarding and football. It made me like my favorite show. Um I would go with the original of what most kids do. I think I would want to put one big thing that represents me in the middle, for example, like um, one of my passions, I'm not sure about that yet, um, and on the sides, maybe I'll put like hopeful words for me, so one day if I come back, I'll look at my stepping stone and remember what I did. Um, I think I do a tennis ball, yeah, or like um, symbols that show what I like to do. Here are some other traditions that made the students and teachers particularly excited. One of my favorite traditions that I haven't done yet, but it's like always so exciting, is um, so we do this thing where we would grow like a mini Christmas tree, and then the sixth graders would cut it down. And I always feel like joy watching them cut it because I know one day that will be me. And like everyone's working together and 
I love teamwork. And then it's just also really joyful because while the sixth graders are cutting it, everyone else is watching and like singing Christmas songs. So yeah. And then I also love holiday program. It's really fun for me to dance, perform, and then get all like clapping and it just it feels so good once you've accomplished it so every year after the performances i always get kind of sad that it's over and then i also love holiday program it's really fun for me to dance perform and then get all like clapping and it just it feels so good once you've accomplished it so every year after the performances i always get kind of sad that it's over also, on the last day of school, I love the slipper toss. We yeah. get we wear slippers to school, and then we get to we take off our slippers, and then we count down the last ten seconds of the school year, and we go ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and then when we say go, we throw our slippers up in the air towards the flagpole, and then at the end, we all run and go find our slippers. That's good. And it's how we end the year. Can you think of some other traditions to tell them about? Um, yeah, so one we do is another, like, big program, um, it, we do May Day, and so we'll do, like, the sixth graders will do the maple dance, everyone will do songs, and sometimes we'll do dance, dances, like, um, last time, last year we did, um, a Filipino dance, um, to Nickeling. Uh, so like the bamboo poles would go in and out and we would have to dance in between them. So yeah. that's really fun. So it would go out, 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 wait, out, out, in, out, out. And you ha your foot has to be up in the air in, uh, when it goes in. And then you tap your foot in the middle for the duh, duh, or out, out. And we would have to like pay attention to the sticks and try not to get our feet smashed. And then we would have to dance with our partner according to the pattern. Yeah. How long did you it again? In Tagalog? In Tagalog? So, and then, um, it's just really fun holiday program. And then, um, another, uh, like, tradition? Tradition, yeah. We do is, um, um, Sorry, I forget of some of my art traditions. There's like birthday books, oh, yeah. and the Olympics, and flag, and assembly. Do you want to talk about any of those? That would, that's what I was saying. Okay, right. tell so, them about the Olympics. Uh, Olympics is like, um, well, first we, the sixth graders do like Greek oratories and they have groups and stuff. And then after that, there's, they do the Olympics, like the Greek Olympics, but we do it like Kanahole Olympics. Um, so it's like running, hurdles, javelins. Uh, sometimes they will do, um, what's it called? They would do um, 40 yard dash, there's yeah. long jump. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. And then um, there's also birthday books. Birthday books is when, when it's your birthday, you have the option to choose a book. And you make a plate that says, this birthday book is the gift of blanks, so-and-so's, um, birthday, birthday um, like blank birthday, 
on the on the date of their birthday and then the year and then now you gotta like decorate the um black then you get to glue it into the book and then that lives in the library so then like if you come back or something like and you open up a book then you can find your birthday book. yeah so it's like a good memory to have and it's like there's um there's also flag and assembly of assemblies like you know you sit there's like plays productions it's really fun and then flag like we do the pledge of allegiance and we have announcements and thought of the day and then yeah can you say what the thought of the day is really quick um, um well sometimes there's like Hiva'a, hemoku, hemoku, hiva'a, the canoe is an island, the island is a canoe. But other days, maybe it will be like the um, old short prayer. The, the old short, short prayer and the new short prayer. Like today, may beautiful things happen to you. And or let us honor this day. Yeah. And then sometimes we'll do um, like Po'e or fourth and fifth this year. Like what we're in. We're going to be doing a Mandarin um, thought of the day or Mana'o yes. Okala. These traditions, as you might have noticed, are often sourced from across the spectrum of different identities and cultures that make up the Hawaiian melting pot spanning the Pacific and beyond. At Hanahaoli, students learn Olelo Hawaii, as well as Mandarin, somewhat recently taking the place of Japanese. Students are exposed to a variety of cultures and develop a rich understanding of the peoples present in the Hawaiian Islands. This reflects a cultural responsiveness that Hanahaoli strives for. The school seeks to give students the opportunity to reflect their own culture in their education. Um, yeah, so my husband and I are both um, of mixed ethnicities, and um, I would say that we both feel like we don't know enough about, you know, the cultures of our ancestors. Um, and uh, I do feel like my daughter learns more about our families, you know, our, the cultures that make up our family more than we know, than we know how to share, you know, with our kids. For example, my husband's a quarter native Hawaiian, but doesn't know very much about Hawaiian history or even Hawaiian culture. And I feel like she learns that here in school and she brings that home to us. You know, I'm a quarter Japanese and um, I don't know anything about being Japanese. And she's involved in so many like Japanese traditions at school. Um, and this place, I think, does a really great job of like embracing many different cultures. And really, they just ask families to like share what is special to them, you know, and what share about yourselves. And so, um, you know, like at we get to learn about so many different cultures just through other families sharing. Um, and I love that. And I love that like kids really feel a lot of pride for who they are and for how they're different from one another. And kids are genuinely interested in learning about, you know, each other's differences. Yeah. I think it's in our mission statement in our beliefs and values, we do state explicitly that we value diversity, that it is not just something that exists, but that we value and celebrate it. Um, I think within the classroom, within all our little daily routines, we have built in ways to honor and celebrate our differences. 
We honor children's voice and perspective. We welcome families into the classroom and onto campus. Um, we have a lot of celebration of different cultural traditions. When a family brings a cultural tradition or celebration to the classroom, we make a big deal. It's awesome. We love to learn about each other. Uh, as far as differences, I think is something that's addressed in all ages, like from JK to, oh, that's same, same, and that's different, to sixth grade when they're really exploring their personal identity and figuring out who they are in a larger society. That's a question that always comes up, and that's always something that we explore with the kids and we celebrate and we honor who they are as people, not just as students. This exposure to a variety of cultures serves a multitude of purposes, one of which is reflecting the quote-unquote real world back at the students. Contrary to the belief that progressive education creates a bubble, Hanaoli strives to expose students to the complexities of real life and the often complicated ways in which people interact. I asked how the educators and parent I spoke to prepare their kids for the quote-unquote real world, as is often considered the goal of education. To them, the distinction between school and the real world was not quite so rigid. I think as a teacher, something I always strive to remember is that when I was a child, what I was feeling and what I was thinking was real to me at that time. Um, you know, as a child, you don't understand all the complexities of life. You don't understand so much, but what you do know, that's authentic to you. So I guess it's my way of saying, I, I wanna respect the experiences of kids. Like whatever they are feeling and whatever they are thinking, that is true to them at that moment. So that is their real world, that is their real life. And so school, again, it's not a mirror of their life, it is their life. This is the place where they spend so much of their time. This is where their friends are. This is their experience. So helping them understand that this is a safe place where they are valued, but also they are expanding their understanding of the world in, and we don't wanna have like a barrier between this is school and this is life this is school and this is the real so as much as we can help them find connections to the bigger world i don't want to say the outside world but like just the bigger world that their worlds their lives are expanding i guess is is our job and and to keep them curious and to keep them safe while they do that is my goal as a teacher um, so, you know, the kind of schools that I went to were, you know, pretty traditional. And um, I would say that I was a, a good student. I was good at school. Um, but I don't feel like it prepared me for, you know, being like a flexible problem solver. Um, and I think that this school environment really does support that in my daughter. Um, I love that, you know, she's already like really good at collaborating with others um, and 
that, you know, when she's given an open-ended um, assignment that it's not like overwhelming or that she's not unmotivated, you know, but rather she's like excited to, you know, to jump in and explore what she's genuinely interested in. Um, and I think that those are like perspectives or outlooks that you need, you know, to be successful in this world today. Um, so I really feel like it, you know, the way that the school approaches learning is very reflective of like how we will, you know, how we live our lives as adults. Um, and so it, you know, really supports her in that way. Um, it also like a lot of the structures here in the school, you know, involve like a lot of student choice and, um, you know, a lot of like freedom for kids to do, to, to, you know, pursue what they're interested in. Um, and I love that. I think that that's going to help her a lot in her future. Instead of having stratified age groups, Hannah Ho'oli promotes relationships between students across age groups, allowing for students to mentor and care for each other no matter their age. When I spoke to the students, this was one of the aspects of their experience at Hannah Ho'oli that excited them the most. Um, well, you know, just by nature of the age, there's a ton of growth that's happened since she was four until now she's eight. Um, but um, it's been really fun to see her evolve from... You know, because of the multi-age structure of the classes here, it's been fun to watch her enter a class as a newcomer. We call them enterings in their first year and then continuings in their second year. Um, it's been fun to watch her, you know, personality and perspective change from the way she approaches school as an entering to how she approaches it in her continuing year. Um, so the first multi-age grouping here is in kindergarten and first grade. And uh, she loved being an entering in that grouping. The class is called Kakuna Okala. Um, and uh, she's used to being the baby in the family. She's got two older sisters I mentioned um, who are actually significantly older than her. Um, and it comes naturally for her to, you know, ask for help. And she enjoys the attention that comes with being the baby. Um, but it doesn't come as naturally for her to be, you know, to be empathetic to others, to, um, you know, choose her, to choose things based on the examples that it sets, you know, and so it was really fun to see her take on the role of the continuing and, you know, to be a supporter to younger students. Um, and this coming year, she'll be a continuing in her, in the second multi-age grouping, it's called Kula Evie, second and third grade. Um, and I'm excited to see how she approaches, you know, approaches it this year, too. I think it'll be totally different. Um, so it's, for me, um, I think it's fun, like, interesting and fun. And then, because, like, this year our teachers are, like, really pushing us to be diverse. So then that also helps us not just be, like, boys and girls or, you know, like, stuff like that, but, like, different grades, or we call them entering for like the young grade and continuing for the older grade so i feel like that just gives one more step into being diverse which is really important 
Yeah, um, I, I really like it because I feel like I can go to one of the continuings if I'm entering and if I need any help or a question or if the teacher's not available and I can ask them my question and I feel comfortable doing that. And then if I am a continuing, I like getting the um, questions from the enterings because I know that they're following my footsteps and learning like I did and I think that that's really cool. And then um, the only two grades that are not mixed grade is sixth grade and um, junior kindergarten, which or we call JK. But there, I would say that they kind of mix together because yeah. we have like sixth grade buddies and JK buddies. So like oh. the sixth grade, sixth grade would have a JK buddy, um, and so then they're like together kind of yes and then there's also reading buddies which Hele or fourth and fifth grade do with kakuna or um kindergarten and first grade so that's really cool we get to every wednesday afternoon after lunch we read we um, read to our reading buddies and that's really nice for 30 minutes so yeah. yeah something that probably i'm excited to do is get a jk buddy because i really want like a little JK buddy so I can like make stuff for them. Uh, what JK is like a, uh, like the, the littlest, um, littlest class of Hanholi. And you, at, when you're in the, the highest class of Hanholi, you get to have a buddy from the lowest class. Um, I like how when I was younger, though, or when I was in the younger age, the older kids treated me really respectfully. So I have um, kind of, I look that year, or I'm an older kid now, but I used to look forward to um, helping the little kids and um, having a big responsibility. So. Oh, and in third and second grade, you get like a buddy. It's usually second and third grades. And um, they're basically like the people you work with the most. So yeah, that that's um, pretty fun. Um, I think the, um, the experience with fourth and fifth graders is um, you can ask anybody and they're always um, gonna be able to help you. Not only do multi-age classrooms prepare students for a world not stratified by age, but it also promotes a sense of community. Across various Hawaiian pedagogies, one of the most important shared elements is that of ohana, or family. These are the communities we fall back on, the people we build our lives with, both blood and chosen. Hanahaoli, rather than individualizing the education of the students, allows parents to be active participants. However, unlike the often dog-whistled notion of parental rights, parents are not expected to restrict their child's knowledge intake, but rather learn, as an ohana, what it means to explore the world as a learner. This is so important, in fact, that it is one of the key elements of the admissions process at Hanahaoli. You know, when a child is three and a half or four and a half years old, they're little. They're, gonna, they're all going to be little kids, but they all do have an interest, a unique personality that we can kind of see at that age. So we look for just a variety of personalities of children. Um, we look for 
if they show us different interests, you know, in terms of the children, if they're able to follow directions and kind of stay with the group, if it looks like they might need more needs, you know, then we're able to provide in terms of maybe needing a smaller group size or um, attention in a specific way, then that might be an indicator that maybe it wouldn't be a good fit. We also look to the parents and their response and their understanding of this school and um, their, you know, interest and willingness to participate. Parents enjoy a variety of ways to involve themselves in their children's education. Um, So this school is extraordinary in the number of opportunities that they create for families to be really actively involved in their kids' school experiences. Um, You know, there are a gazillion learning trips a year that parents can chaperone. There are tons of fun activities in the classroom that they ask for extra hands with. Um, they invite families to come and, you know, present about things that they're familiar with or things that are related to the topics that the students are exploring in their units. Um, parents come to campus. I mean, any given day, you'll see many parents on campus just for our morning flag gatherings and our Friday assemblies. Um, it's a really welcoming community. Um, and so, and I work part-time for the school. And so I actually have the luxury of having a lot of time that I can commit to, um, to volunteering in the classroom, you know, and, and doing that stuff as a parent. Um, and then I also, as a employee of the school, I have a, you know, really close relationship with all of her teachers and all of her classmates. I supervise recess, you know, a couple times a week. And I, I get to see, I get to be a fly on the wall quite often, you know. Um, so I feel really lucky that I get to be such a big part of her school experience. Yeah, there's so many different ways that family, I mean, family is an essential part of our school culture. If we took that out, it would not be the same school. Um, From the moment, well, most of our families come in as JK families, not all, but the majority. There are elements set up to welcome them and to educate them about our values as a school and also asking them to be involved in their child's education. Um, I'll paraphrase, but there is a statement in our beliefs saying that We believe the parent or the family is the first and foremost educator of the child. And so I think we try to live that with, especially in the lower elementary, parents are often asked to come in as experts. And being an expert can be, you know, I am an expert at growing banana plants and I'm going to teach the kids about how to grow banana plants. And it can be really simple as that, but we're, we're showing the kids that we value their families, we value their families' knowledge and traditions and cultural knowledge and experiences. Um, we have our hui, which is kind of like a big version of a PTA, but it's everyone. It's teachers, staff, families. We are all together. We're all trying to be informed. We're all trying to be involved. So big and small ways. We're always trying to build our school community on that relationship of families are part of our school and school depends on our families. Well, a specific uh, example of a real, you know, really 
engaging family project that she um, just had in this last year was the class's theme is, you know, the, in Kula Ivi, they're exploring their island home. And um, the learning trips throughout the year involved going to, you know, many different places around the island and exploring the geography and um, thinking about, you know, just all about this place. Um, but they asked families to identify a place that they had never been to, preferably on this island, but maybe on another island, you know, while you're on vacation, um, and to approach it like a learning trip, a family learning trip, and then to do a little reflection on it together. And um, they compiled all of the reflections together and made a book of all of these places on the island that you could visit that other, you know, classmates had gone to with their families. Um, and so we, you know, found a part of the, a beach on the island that we had never been to that's got um, uh, tide pools and, you know, is pretty well known for having a lot of wildlife. Um, and we had the most amazing day and loved writing about it and sharing photos. And we've got this book now of all these cool places and hikes that we want to check out, you know, that even my older kids look at all the time and are like, hey, we got to go to this beach. Remember? Remember so-and-so was talking about that place? Let's go to it. Um, so yeah, that's like one of, you know, many opportunities that they present families with, you know, to get really involved. Um, but I also find that um, the school has kind of taught me to also like respect and honor her space and her initiative to pursue things that she's interested in and to, you know, drive her own learning. And um, I would say that in a lot of ways, I was more actively like engaged with my older children's learning than I am with hers in the sense that um, I want to give her that room, you know, to like to pursue the things that she's interested in, what she's learning about in school without, you know, me, you know, being involved in it. Um, and I think she likes that too. And I, th I think that's another cool thing about this school, you know, that they really instill in kids, uh, you know, desire to, to, to learn and to explore the things that they're interested in. Well, and I think another piece that I've learned, you know, I experienced last year was my first year as director of admissions. And, um, I saw that the process set up prior to my becoming director of admissions was, was just fabulous. What, what we do is we not only have small group play sessions with teachers, um, but we ask families to, um, the parents to join in small groups and to, to learn about how we teach here, um, to learn about how we center on children, to learn more about um, progressivism and learn, learn about John Dewey or learn about how our school was founded. So we have like four sessions running at a time while the students or the children are with teachers in classrooms. Parents are going to their own classrooms. They're maybe doing uh, a movement dance activity and expressing themselves through um, responding to music and then reflecting and or they might be in a social social emotional um, group in the art room with our 
um, school counselor, sharing about feelings or sharing about parenting, and then relating that to how we how we teach here and how we acknowledge the the whole child. Um, or they might be with our librarian in the library, learning about uh, the beliefs and the practices here and what it looks like from, you know, the early ages, the junior kindergarten and um, all the way to sixth grade. So that, the, the cool thing about that is the parents are as excited or more excited than the children in, in their experience. They, they're like, wow, I really, I'm understanding this a little bit more. I'm, I'm loving this. So I want this for my child, or they might come away. Um, you know, those who don't want it, they're not necessarily telling me, but it's, I think it's been a really great way of sharing about our school so that families coming in, they know from the start, we're not a traditional school. They're not going to be sitting at, at desks all the time, although we absolutely do use desks and we absolutely do teach skills and we absolutely do look at, you know, growth over time with the children. Um, so those pieces of um, interviewing and have the parents involved and then also having the parent docents. I think that really shows how our community is totally woven into the fabric of what we do here and how we relate to um, the world. Okay, I've said a lot. (laughs) It is important to recognize, however, that the school doesn't exist within a vacuum. Hawaii has one of the lowest rated education systems in the United States. Public schools are often underfunded, understaffed, and don't provide the potential for upward mobility to their students. Hanaha'oli, like many of the notable Hawaiian private schools, tends to serve a privileged group. However, they continue to make efforts to expand their student body and push back against the cutthroat competition that defines Hawaiian education today. Here's Allison with more on the admissions process. You know, one of the things we want to do is as is to reach out to different preschools really and to um, that have not typically had children come to us. So one of the things I want to do this year is sort of expand our network or our reach to um, schools in other areas of the island that have not traditionally um we haven't had applicants from those schools. So that's, that's one idea right now that we have. We have um, a couple of, cho- you know, half our applicants come from a handful of schools and the other half come from a variety of schools. So I want to plug into those variety of schools to find our applicants. We also are going to have a committee um, from our board and be looking at financial aid and looking more completely at how do you know how our financial aid might support diversity in our school and whether that's adequate or whether we need to make any changes in that. So I think those two ways, reaching out to different schools and then having our board on the other side look at you know that um, that aspect. The University of Hawaii has the a progressive pedagogy program and that might be that's a way we've we've gotten several teachers um, really excellent teachers have joined us and I'm not sure if that's also a way to expand our I mean 
they know more about Hanaholi in that way, you know, they might apply their children, but perhaps there's another way that that could support spreading our um, knowledge about our school in another direction. Part of the what works about Hanaholi and what makes it unique is that we are a small school and you really can know everybody when you're a small school. And that's one of the things that makes it special in our, in our progressive mission. But also a part of our mission is that we reach out to the broader community and um, we've had a summer school program called the skills we, we need for the last couple of years, and that may possibly expand or um, at least be continuous that, you know, we have children from the public schools come here. We have funding that's provided that summer experience for them, but really to have a greater impact, you know, in the um, state school system, the, our professional development center, which Amber um, Strong Makayao has been involved with, along with Veronica Kimmy. Um, that has been a way that we've been able to expand our reach and expand our knowledge and our, you know, care for the schools in Hawaii. And we've had many participants from the Department of Education in that way. Hanaholi, as well as being an example of progressive pedagogy, also has a field pioneering professional development network. Run by Amber, Hanaholi's PD both teaches and practices the ideas and philosophies that sets Hanaholi apart. What kind of professional development do you do at Hannah Howley? And in particular, how does it differ from sort of the typical model of education professional development, both in terms of the content and the structure? Yeah, so Hannah Howley School has a professional development center, which um, has a director, which is myself. And uniquely, it's a bridge um, bridge program between the University of Hawaii and Hannah Howley School. And I'd say that it's really modeled after what John Dewey was doing with the experimental school at the University of Chicago, um, and which um, uh, John Goodlad wrote about many years later, but really looking at school university partnerships and looking at how this helps to schools become better because you have the influx of new ideas and new teachers um, and research and scholarship and pushing innovation. And then it supports the work of universities because it's real life living schools that students can learn how to teach in, scholars can come and study, um, and researchers can come and do work in. And so our professional development center at Hanaholi has multiple types of programs. We run workshops and public talks. We have a two-week summer institute and integrated interdisciplinary thematic curriculum design. Um, And the main goal of all of these is to offer educative experiences that are led by progressive education teachers that align to our progressive education mission. We have programs such as that, but we also really use the school as a living laboratory. So we have um, school tours designed for educators, long-term scholars and residents, shorter-term scholars and residents, where people can come and see things that they're exploring and thinking about in education in action. So for example, if they're interested in team teaching or what a multi-age classroom looks like, that instead of just reading about it in a book or taking a workshop on it, you can come and experience it for yourself alongside the teachers and students at Hanaholi. In addition, we have teacher candidates. So folks who are learning how to teach are on campus and um, 
by having that experience to experience progressive education firsthand as a first year novice teacher, it really fundamentally shapes the type of teachers folks become. Um, and then we're also producing resources and materials and curriculum um, by working with all of the teachers that collaborate with us in either long-term scholars or through workshops and things like that. So um, I just wanna emphasize the way in which we leverage being able to have learning happen um, alongside children and families and teachers as a part of the regular school day and the ways in which that grows the profession of teaching and helps to grow folks that have real hands-on experience with progressive education. Um, and it also helps Hanaholi grow and become a better school itself. Yeah, and so how, I mean, how important, but also what role do you view professional development as part of the sort of larger identity and project of the Hanaholi School? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really aligned nicely with our progressive mission of um, supporting school communities to create a better future society for today's children. Um, I think that by we are able to service the 210 plus families whose children attend the school, but by extension, the school is able to do work in the broader community and to be have a, a bigger reach and a bigger impact. And I just think that that's so closely aligned to what it means to be a progressive educator. Um, and that when you're a progressive teacher, you're thinking about the kids in your classroom, but you're also thinking about how can we apply the work that we're doing in our classroom to actually make real change in the world and society at large. And I think um, by having a professional development arm of the school, this um, really enables Hanaholi to fulfill its progressive mission in um, exponential ways. So we identified a couple of core values. Um, just as a reminder, we had learning by doing, traditions and responding to a changing world, uh, learning at school mirrors the real world learning, um, Ohana connection to community building and cultural responsiveness. How do you see those values um, reflected in the, you know, the, the way you engage in professional development? Well, I would definitely say learning by doing was at the top of your list. And I, I mean, I think I've, I've said this, but I really think that that's, it's great to be able to have scholarship and research that you can read. It's great to work with an expert teacher in a professional development setting where you're thinking along with other professionals, but it just takes it another step further when you're able to go and see it in a real classroom or um, as a scholar in residence to have the opportunity to experiment with um, an idea that you're testing out in a real classroom or school setting. And I'll give an example. Um, last year, we had a student in our um, master's program in progressive philosophy and pedagogy. His name is Brendan McCarthy, and he was really interested in exploring how we could use film and students producing films to learn more about what children love and how can we use knowing about what they love to then create future programming at our school. So as a part of his master's program, Brendan facilitated a school-wide I want to know what love is film festival at Hanaholi school. So each all 210 students 
made films about what they love to do. Um, they started out with a nine, 19 second film and they got to show it to their peers and they um, gave a critique and then they produced another film. And at the end of the year, we had a film festival with the whole school. And then we were able to analyze and look at what the students had made their films about and to help to use that to help us um, with future programming at the school. And that's just a great example of, you know, Brendan could have been at the university taking a class about progressive education, written a paper about how great would it be to have this film festival with children to explore what they love to do. But he also got to actually go and make it happen and to be able to, ex to spend an extended period of time working on that. Um, I think that's something, you know, teachers don't always have the opportunity. Our professional development experiences are typically short and in chunks and to be able to have projects that you can work on over time within real school settings is just, I mean, that's learning by doing to its core. What sort of audience do you find, you know, engages in your professional development? Is it, you know, usually educators who want to try something new or educators who are already sort of, you know, immersed in the world of progressive pedagogy or have a background in it? Yeah, I'd say both. I, I think, um, we have folks that have an understanding of what it means to be a progressive educator, and they're looking for professional development opportunities that are going to help them further that aspect of who they are as an educator. So for example, example, we had a DOE, Hawaii State Department of Education elementary teacher last year who really wanted to see for herself and to think more with teachers and students at Hanahooli about how play um, can be integrated into learning in the early years. And um, so this was something that she had already identified for herself that she valued, and she sought us out to help her work on that. Um, I also think that because so many of our workshops are responding to our changing world, and they focus on topics that teachers who may not identify as progressive um, recognize, man, I, I really want to go and learn something more about how to teach about climate justice or how to integrate more social emotional learning opportunities in my classroom, or what does it mean to be a social justice educator? I've heard a lot about this. So they come to us not really with any background in progressive education and, um, and really fall in love with the community and um, the community of learners and the support and the, the thinking um, and looking at teaching as an art. And, um, and so I think in that way, we invite and bring in new folks who maybe had little understanding of, of what progressive education is and open the doors to what the possibility that might be. And really the whole aim, right, is that they can come and experience things at Hanahooli and see the possibilities and then go make this happen in their own classrooms. And, you know, some schools are progressive from the top down. Um, they have progressive leadership or they have structures and systems that allow them to be progressive. But a lot of times um, they progressive movements can happen from the bottom up, you know, one teacher at a time that says, you know, I want to start doing integrated interdisciplinary thematic units of study. And I learned about it. Now I'm going to bring in my colleagues and we're going to grow this um, from the bottom up. And so in your professional development, how do you prepare educators for work in the progressive sphere, but I think more importantly, outside of the progressive sphere and sort of combining two questions that I have, what sort of skills and, and 
recommendations do you provide for educators who want to introduce progressive ideas in contexts that are maybe more resistant to those ideas? Yeah. So um, to, to answer the second part of your question about how do you support folks that find themselves in more traditional school settings, I think the first part is that when they attend a workshop or come to Hanaholi School and they see something that they believe philosophically about how school should be organized or how teaching should be, um, but they don't see it at their own school or um, they're not surrounded by people that have similar philosophies or beliefs, that in itself is validating to know that this is uh, now it's proven by science an effective way of teaching and, and people are doing it and it's successful. So I think that's validating. Um, and then we do the best that we can to really all of our professional learning experiences are grounded in community and they're collaborative and, um, you know, we're socially constructing knowledge. So that involves talking and thinking with other people. And so they begin to build a network of peers um, and like-minded peers that even though they're not at the same school, they can connect with one another beyond the workshop um, and do the work together. Uh, and then we also try to set up structurally as a part of many of our learning experiences that folks have support over time. So for example, with the thematic institute that we do in the summer, they design curriculum um, for a two week period in the summer and then they start implementing in their classroom and schools in the fall. And we meet with them periodically in our community of learners and check in and say, how are things going? What sort of support that do you need? Um, so I think being able to give ongoing, ongoing support and then knowing just that we are a resource in the community that they can always come back to, um, I think is one way in which we ensure the longevity of the practice um, and that um, people can regularly have contact to help them keep growing and, and the support they need to make the movement grow in their own schools. In the end, what makes all of this worthwhile is the students being able to explore their interests in a safe and supportive environment. What struck me was just how joyous and lively the students were when discussing their time at Hanahaoli. They were often talking over each other in our interviews, each trying to get a word in about their favorite projects, traditions, you name it. They clearly love what they do. The faculty I spoke to as well had nothing but love for their jobs and responsibilities. My favorite parts are... Like I said, I think the validation that people get that they have this little voice inside of them about what they know is good for children and good for kids and good for themselves as a teacher and good for society. Uh, and yet they're not seeing that or they're not able to express that in the schools that they're at or in the professional communities that they're working in. And to have them come to our workshops or spend time on campus, it's almost like you can see a relief wash over them that this is truly a possibility and that this is a reality. It's not just something that philosophers are writing about in books, but it can really happen. It's, it's just, it's almost like Christmas morning <laughs> um, that just to see that in somebody's face when they realize that this is a, this is this reality is possible, and then it fuels them to want to go and make that reality where they are. I think that's so rewarding, and it's um, 
it's part of why I do what I do, what I'm driven by, um, that more and more children and communities have access to a more humane education like this. And so in any way possible that, that I can um, to fan the flame and, and, and make that happen in other schools, I think it's really rewarding. What is the hardest part? What was the most challenging, I think was the second part of your question. Well, honestly, right now, what I'm I'm really working on is setting up institutional structures to ensure that this partnership between the University of Hawaii and Hanaho'oli School endures over time, and that just like Hanaho'oli can be serve as an inspiration for teachers to see how progressive teaching and learning looks like, that the Hanaho'oli University partnership can be an inspiration for other schools and universities to see what a successful school university partnership can look like. I mean, this was John Dewey's dream from day one. I mean, this is what he was aiming to do at the experimental school at the University of Chicago. And it's just extremely difficult to have large institutions partner with each other and um, work in tandem with one another over time. And um, and John Budlad has read about this extensively as well. I mean, I was a part of a, a partnership school in the Department of Education where I got my master's and unfortunately that no longer exists. So I, I'm, I'm just determined to crack the nut of why is this so challenging to have school university partnerships when it makes so much sense for not only the profession of teaching, but for a better future society. And so I think that's one of my biggest challenges right now that I'm working on setting up institutional structures so that this becomes a model for other universities and schools. There's a few things that I like the most about my job. So I might not have a singular answer. One is that I get to see the whole school. I'm not um, siloed, so to speak, in one classroom and needing to make sure that my our group of children is cared for all day long. I, I can sort of have a a, a wider view of the day and visit classrooms, see what's going on so that I'll know what to share with families, but also so that I can, you know, help with enrollment and any questions families may have along the way. So I love having the wider range and the freedom to have, see every aspect of the school. And I also love talking with parents about our school um, I love relating to different families. I just really enjoy that a lot. And what do I like least? Maybe that I'm impatient and want to have make a lot of changes all at once, that I need to be more patient to wait for those changes to come. That's the hardest part for me. Like I want to make changes and I know it's going to be several years, so I need to like hold off and, and go more slowly, slow down and be okay with that. But it's, it's a really exciting place to work. Um, when you start a new job, you have that imposter syndrome and that lasted for a little while. And then I realized, no, no, I love this school, I know about the school I can share with families and learn along the way, just like our students are. Um, you know, so I actually moved around quite a bit too when I was young. Um, and I did have, I did attend very traditional schools. Um, and I would say, I mean, the way that 
I know that she will build, she's a part of a community that she will be a part of for a very long time, if not forever. Um, you know, for the rest of her life, really, I can feel already that this community is going to be a part of her life forever. Um, I think that that's really different from what I grew up with, you know, because I moved around a bunch and because I transitioned from, you know, my elementary school to my middle school to my high school. Um, here at Hanha Oli, it feels like a, it's a, the, even though it's only eight years that they spend here, it feels like a really significant part of a kid's life, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, so I, I would say the major difference is that, you know, she's going to be a part of this community for a really long time. And she really feels a sense of belonging to this community. Um, you know, when I talk to her about like, she's attending summer school at a, another school, just a bigger school to, you know, so that hopefully she'll have an easy time adapting to new situations because this place is so nurturing and it's so consistent in her life. Um, when I talked to her about, you know, eventually when you're in middle school, you'll go to a, another school like this one. Maybe you'll go to the school that your sisters go to. And she says, no, I never want to go to another school. I love Hanahaoli so much, you know, and I can see how safe she feels here and um, how much she feels like herself, you know, and she can't imagine being anywhere else. Like a lot of kids say like, oh, school so boring. I don't like homework. Yeah. I but Hanahaoli makes me feel I don't know how exactly to say it, but like it makes me feel like, oh yes, I gotta go to school. I want to go to school, and for me, I actually love homework. So um, yeah, I'm and kind Hama, of the opposite. And then like Anna Holly has taught me to love. Um, yeah, homework. I like homework, but not if I have a lot after school. Yeah. Like today, I have a lot after school. So luckily, it's a Friday, and there's no homework. But I just, um, I like homework otherwise. But what's your one word that you would use to describe? And then we got to go. Joyous and fun. I'll say, yeah, joyous and fun. My favorite part is probably recess because we let, we get to like let all our energy out before we start again and learn. Um, my favorite is the specialists. We have music, Mandarin, and PE because unlike the other classes, they're a little different and um, you get, it's like like going into an, like another world where you could um, each do something fun. It's like escaping from all the hard work, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I like recess because sometimes um, there are friends that you want to play with, but you can't because they're in like different cohorts. Um, so like during recess, you're able to like talk to them or uh, yeah, spend time. Learning by doing what our school means is um, joyous work. Joyous work. So Obi like, means joyous and oh, Hana, Hana means, means work. No other way. No. And because it, in Hawaiian it's backwards, so our school means joyous work, Han Ho'oli. And a couple, like five, six years ago, I think it was, we celebrated the 100th year of school, and that was Ho'omau Han Ho'oli, or the 100th year of, one century of Han Ho'oli. And then, yeah, like, I also don't like to be pushed, so I think it's like, like, 
the teachers, I guess, would need to like challenge the kids a bit, but not like, come on, do this, 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 this. Um, but like letting them go at their pace, but still pushing them, but a bit to challenge them, get their minds going. I also like the creativity of the school where like all of our traditions and the creativity. And one of my favorite classes, I want to say it's art, because I love art. I like to draw like faces or self-portraits. And right now we're making our kappa from Akiki. And I think that's really cool. I think prog progressive education is like moving on. Like you keep going forward and never stop like keep be like outstanding um to me it means to go forward but also um, my parents tell me this but it's okay to look back on mistakes that you made so you can um keep going forward in the future yeah um i think progressive education um, to me, it's kind of like, yeah, um, like a handhold, learning by doing, instead of, um, and knowing what you're supposed to do and why. Do you guys remember that in your school unit when you learned about, like, traditional schools and then progressive education is the type of school at Hanaholi? So knowing that, that that's what that word means, do you two want to elaborate on what you believe this type of education is about? Yeah. Having a choice like being independent. I can be who I want in the future. It's like um, building and molding yourself um, with all the education you did so you can be who you are. Thank you again for listening to our podcast at Human Restoration Project. I hope this conversation leaves you inspired and ready to start making change. If you enjoyed listening, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast player. Plus, find a whole host of free resources, writings, and other podcasts all for free on our website, humanrestorationproject.org. Thank you.